Welcome to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. I'm Josiah. In this episode, we pick up right where we left off with our interview of Pastor Craig Laughlin. Craig is the lead pastor of Generations Church in Marysville, Washington, which is situated in a city just north of the greater Seattle metro area. And in part one of our interview, we learned a lot about him, his ministry, and the context in which he serves. We talked a little bit about guerrilla ministry and had the opportunity to hear his thoughts on what we were doing, while also discussing some of our thoughts about what was happening with Sunday morning focused churches. In this episode, we pick up where we left off with our interview of Pastor Craig Laughlin. noticed was that Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. It's all about entering in to the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be sanitized. I always feel like I'm not what people think of when they think of a pastor. I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work. It's good, good stuff. The church is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to like allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place. Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people. How do we be eternally faithful? Like literally, like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years, people aren't going, he was evil. Why are we so afraid? We believe that God is at work in all places, in all people, at all times. That is amazing and that should give us hope. We are the Gorilla Pastors. Join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. Now, before we get back to the interview, I would like to remind our listeners of the point of this discussion. While on the surface it may feel like we are trying to destroy, dismember, critique, or all around throw shade at Sunday morning focused churches, that could not be further from the truth. This thing we call the Sunday morning focused church is the thing that we have given our lives to. It is what we were trained and mentored in, and we each currently engage with it to this day. However, we know that this cannot be the only iteration for how the kingdom of heaven is imagined and lived out. But instead of seemingly sitting on the sideline, critiquing pastors and churches that spend their time and energy focused on Sunday mornings, we thought it might be more charitable to discuss our ideas directly with them to see what they thought and what they had to say about the ministries they themselves have given their careers for. More than just giving their careers, they have had success in a traditional Sunday morning focused ministry context. And we respect them for the work that they do. We also feel compelled to share that they are also innovators within their own space. That they do things worthy of recognition. 
Today's guest, Pastor Craig's church, has recently been acknowledged as being a wonderful and loving church for opening its doors to those that are without housing in the cold months of winter, allowing them to find a warm place to sleep at night within the very same facility that they worship in on a Sunday morning. And this says nothing about the intelligent and creative ways he preaches and leads his staff along with the many, many fruitful and wonderful ministries his church offers the greater Marysville area. But enough from me, let's get back to the interview. Here's the second part of my conversation with Pastor Craig Laughlin, where we continue our discussion on just how much ministry has changed in a few short years. There's been an interesting thread between me and my co-hosts and a couple other pastors that I've had occasion to talk to that our polity has this really weird blind spot possibly where we have missionary status in almost every other country, but I don't know that you can be a missionary in your own country. Um, And maybe we could get missionaries from other countries, but we don't have what would be considered a missional designation because almost without exception, and this gets to the guerrilla versus traditional presence conversation is to be a pastor in in the united states at least you have to have an associated address you have to have a physical address that you can write down as your place of ministry but if we're trying to embody a guerrilla ministry a subversive presence then your physical address might just be your house if you have a normal house but maybe it's a van right maybe it's an rv (laughs) maybe who knows what it is maybe Maybe you live above, like I just heard a podcast where the guy lived above the sanctuary of a church he led music for, but he basically lived in a commercial space, right? Like whatever the case may be, lots of interesting uh, housing situations in Western Washington uh, and they abound. But is there something that that we could maybe think through together with this guerrilla pastor uh, collaborating with a traditional pastor where maybe, I don't know if to play with our polity, uh, traditional churches like yours have to be willing to like have a traditional pastor on paper assigned, but then what they're doing is just, they're just out there figuring that stuff out. They're just doing a thing at the very least boots on the ground. Like, what do you see that looking like? Do you agree that we have some sort of uh, institutional hangups with the flexibility in ministry? And uh, additionally, is that a possible way that collaboration could take place? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, that's spot on. I think our, um, our, our polity has several, several blind spots, if you will. Not that they got there intentionally, but it was built in a different time, in a different place, with a different model. Uh, and so uh, I, I think we can, however, like you said, kind of find creative ways. What you, as you were talking about that, that occurred to me that that's exactly one of the ways you can do it with a physical address is say, hey, you're, you're on staff with me. You know, maybe I can't pay you or it's a small amount, but it gives you here. And we see you as a missionary to that place. We're sending this missionary uh, to Seattle or to wherever kind of a thing. I think we could probably do some pretty creative stuff with that. And I think the value of that is it also puts it also puts that gorilla pastor in community with a larger group and accountability, which is always a good thing. You know, you, you'll have to find the right pastors that are willing to do that kind of a model and willing to kind of release somebody to do that. 
But but again, I think there's a growing number of of pastors that would do that. I'd I'd love to do stuff like that, you know. And I think it, honestly, I think it'd be really great uh, for for the traditional suburban church too, right? Because that just creates vision in the church to say, hey, we're doing something to to reach Seattle, you know, that place that you're all afraid of, <laughs> you know, down there. Here, here's our missionaries who are risking their lives for Jesus and come back in and, and preach to us, you know, tell us about what what's going on, you know. I just. I, collaboration is like my word. Like we do that with all of our stuff around here. Um, but, but I think the power of collaboration is that both sides win mm-hmm. when you do it right. Uh, and so, um, it would also, I think, help to reduce some of the, um, the, uh, the anxiety about guerrilla ministries, about different ministries. If you're hearing those people and you're connected, you know, one, one of the things I've, I just know for sure, it's, I really learned it in my, my previous church, because we were dealing with racial issues, right? When I came there, it was all white people. And by the time I left, it was very, very diverse. Um, but the thing I know that breaks down barriers is relationship, right? Way more than than learning or programs or rules or any of that. When you get in relationship with someone else, all of a sudden you start going, oh, I'm really for this person, you know, and I want this to work. And when people criticize them, you go, that's not true. I know that person personally, right? You know, they're not trying to get you. They're not. So, so I think that that kind of model where, where um, guerrilla pastors are in some sort of a relationship, a formal relationship with, uh, with a, um, a traditional church is where the traditional church in some ways comes back into this model. I, 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 I don't think the traditional church as we understand it today will ever go away completely. I don't, I, I you know, I think, but I think there's some value to a church um, like mine and, and like of others where we can give support and encouragement and you become beloved in the church and then financial support flows. And there's just all kinds of ways that can, I have access to expertise that you don't because my church is big enough that sure. I have, you know, all kinds of people with all sorts of different skill sets that would say, Hey, can I come and help with what you guys are facing down there? Sure. Uh, Sort of thing. So I think uh, if there's a vision for me of how how this all works with all the different models that are out there, that would be it. I would love to see connections between uh, strong uh, traditional churches that are open to the innovation and, and embrace it, uh, and and kind of the gorilla and all in all its iterations out out there. Yeah. Um, and so and I and I know people get excited about it. So I this is this is really a strange thing, but um, in addition to myself, I have two lay people on the board of the district advisory board in my church. And so, so it's kind of like, whoa, <laughs> um, but like, like one of them in particular uh, is a, is a business person that that's down in Seattle and he's just so charged up about some of the stuff you guys are doing, you know, and the creative sorts of things. And he's a very traditional kind of guy. He's my church board secretary, right? You know, but he's just super excited about it. He's excited about reaching Seattle. He's excited about finding other models his, one of his concerns is he works with a lot of professionals down there and some he's got some of them on his staff that that are followers of Jesus, but they live in the high rises right there. And they're like, there's no place for me to go to church. There's no connection. How do we do? So one of his things is, well, how you know, you guys are doing this neighborhood thing. Well, how do we do that? And how do we reach the highway? You know, he's asking those questions, which exactly. is that's exactly where we go. And that's going to look different if we ever figure out a way to get into the, the apartments. Right. Exactly. You know, and so that's OK. That's that's good. How can we support that? How can we help with that? Yeah. You know, well, maybe I'll, I'll pick your brain with one one kind of final thought that we've been wrestling with, but we are wrestling with it from more of the so-called gorilla perspective, I suppose. <laughs> the financial side of this is something that a lot of smaller churches are going to 
really feel the strain of. It's like you uh, you said, and I I don't I didn't look up the stats because I also didn't want to put you on the spot because if one of the things we're known for is we're not as jazzed about metrics, <laughs> but um I know that that this church is one of the larger churches on the district. Uh, I'm I'm fairly sure it is. It's one of the the bigger ones, but it's bigger than average. Maybe is is an accurate way of describing it. Uh, but the average church, if the latest numbers I read are accurate, is something like 40 people now on a Sunday morning. And that puts a, a substantial financial strain on on just the congregation and its pastor who might have the expectation of doing all of the things for a Sunday morning, but not have the resources there. So one of the threads we've been playing with is there is maybe a unique entry point into guerrilla ministry inadvertently by using your space differently. And so I, I'm not sure uh, how that plays out in in this relationship between what would have been a normal traditional Sunday morning congregation. We're actually exploring that right now where I'm because I'm kind of in that right now. I am technically assigned to a church and I do have some duties there, but I'm also sort of sent to do a lot of stuff in the community. And some of that has turned into our space is on the cusp of being used by a number of entities that has a very parallel emphasis ministerially speaking it does a lot of good they're nonprofits that do very ministry minded gospel focused things that are great and it you know part and parcel because i i am the director of a nonprofit that is in that space already and it does a lot of benevolent work but i i'm curious too i don't know if we have to figure this out if this is part of what guerrilla ministry looks like but how do we help these smaller congregations that don't have the resources either be bonded together and maybe guerrilla ministry could play a part in that? Or is there going to be some sort of future where we have to figure out how to help churches get to the point that Seattle's at? Where for, for Brian, my co-host story, he came in after the congregation already was basically disbanded. So there wasn't a transition. It was just, hey, we have a building. Can you do something with it? So do you see, do you see some sort of, I mean, our church is going to get together. Are we going to maybe see pastor sharing. What do you forecast in the years of ministry you've been been doing this happening with some of these smaller, do you think we're just going to have maybe a consolidation where people start going to, there's going to be less churches and they have more people or, or what? What does that look like, do you think? Well, first off, I have been in ministry long enough to know better than to forecast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have even asked, but I thought I would try. <laughs> that being said, I I, I think there's going to be a variety of things. If we do it right, there will be a wide variety of ways we address this because we got tons of churches that are small and the clock is ticking on them. Uh, they're just not going to be able to make it financially. There, there's all kinds of issues with that, you know, keeping up with maintenance, deferred maintenance so that a building gets in bad shape and you kind of go, well, we could have used that for the kingdom if maybe we'd done, done this a little bit different way, whether that would be the building itself or we sell it and we take the resources to do something else, right, uh, with that. Uh, I, I think in places where you have some population density, like Seattle, you can do like the Seattle Project is doing. And they're doing some really creative stuff. I love kind of where they're going uh, with with all of that. Um, so, I, and, and I think others, others um, have uh, facilities. I mean, I'm a long way away, but I'd open my facility for anything you guys are doing. Um, you know, I think others will be able to do some of that. I think some will just die because it's just very hard for them to do that. It depends on the congregation. You know, um, I know a number of years ago in Kansas City, uh, there was a, a form, what had decades earlier been a very large church that had a big facility. 
Um, and, and it got down to just a few people and they just gifted it to an African-American church that was struggling with not having enough space. Right. And I thought, well, man, that's the kingdom of God. They just said here, you know, we want the kingdom of God to continue. It's not going to look like our denomination, but that's okay. Uh, so finding ways to do that, I think is true. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you though. I, I, um, I struggle with the place of buildings a little bit. Uh, I grew up in a time when a building was an asset to a church. Sometimes now it's a liability just because of the upkeep and the, the money that it takes to do all of those sorts of things. Uh, I think the Seattle City Project is doing some creative things with that, finding uh, places for people to live, pastors to live, so that they can be in the community and do those sorts of things. Uh, I think those are all um, really, really good sorts of things. I, I hope we will see more creative things. I mean, one of the ideas I know that's been kicked around sometimes in other places where maybe there isn't so much networking is taking those buildings and turning them into a less traditional ministry, right? So you do maybe a coffee shop in there and kind of plant a church out of that, right? Sure. That probably looks a little better for uh, a more suburban kind of church, right? If it's, if it's not too big a church that you can't you know, do yeah. that. Um, you can do some creative things with those. I think we need more creative ideas where you bring together uh, marketplace kind of ideas and and church ideas, right? So the, the in that and this is not the only way of doing, it, but but a coffee shop in that sense, the the shop provides some of the financial resources to pay a pastor to make sure that they can put clothes on their kids and all of those sorts of things, while creating a space to build relationships in the community, uh, which is what it's all about, and and maybe uh, if you will plant churches there uh, and and use a different model, so it's not just a Sunday morning kind of thing; it's a more uh, it's a more creative, more flexible kinds of thing. So I, I think, I, I think to make it, we're going to have to have a lot of different ways of going at it. The single model thing isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, that I know for sure. As as you're talking, final thought, and then the week I'll, I'll give you the rest of your day after this. Uh, we joke about, hey, we should have a subversive seminary. The joke that we continue to come back to is I went to school and man, I never knew how much real estate law I'd have to read or how much nonprofit law or how many building code things I'd have to review or how to come up with contracts or, you know, all the things that especially the three of us on the show are doing a lot of, we could have gone, gotten a lot of different masters and been unprepared for it. So much of, I think what we're reaping from having sowed it over the last few decades or centuries is there has been that emphasis. You go to seminary and you become one of the best orators ever. You're really good at preaching. You're really good at, you know, all of the things we might associate with a Sunday morning. I'm not really sure what to do with that, but part of my motivation for this podcast is to offer a real life experience of this is what ministry has turned into. This is what we've seen. This is what we've experienced. These are the frustrations we've had. Um, and some of it sometimes is almost in spite of the institution, because I don't know that the institution ever could fully equip for all of the, the myriad of things that you can have happen. But at some point, uh, I suppose there has to be some sort of like mutual respect of, hey, the institution offers this. But hey, once you step away from that, I mean, do you do you think we're almost to the point where seminarians could be graduating? We say you might preach on a Sunday morning, but you also might just manage a building like a landlord and have to come up with all sorts of awesome opportunities to have neighborhood presence and figure out where the gospel comes up in those conversations. Like, how do you think that's a possibility in the future with our current educational paradigm? Or is that something that might have to happen in spite of the institution, you had said something earlier that I'm th th this is kind of stirring up. You said I want to help set up whatever's next. 
Is that a big piece of what's next? Do we have to maybe have a tough look at how we're educating and preparing pastors and setting up churches because of the paradigm that we have educationally? Or is it going to happen in spite of that institutional paradigm? <laughs> going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the answer to that is is yes. <laughs> um, I, I think there. Uh, I think there's going to have to be some in, in spite of, uh, and and I think because the real question is, what does it look like to adequately prepare someone to do ministry, you know, going forward in the 21st century, um, and I, I do think that looks probably different than the traditional. So I did the very traditional thing. I have a BA in philosophy and religion from NNU, and I have a master's of divinity from our seminary. Um, and But one of the reasons I landed here, and one of the reasons my board still says like they really appreciate me, is that I had that 15-year career in the marketplace, right? And I, I was blessed in that time to be uh, in an accelerated management program. If you had a degree, you could get that. Um, that, that just taught me a lot about that, right? And so... Um, that that was just really helpful. So I, I've said to people, and I'm sorry for all my friends that are in education that are going to hate to hear this, but if I had to do this over, I probably would have done my undergraduate in business and my then gone to seminary, right? Uh, if I, if I were going to do that again, I think that would have been the way I, I I would do it because there just is so much business you have to deal with, and you guys are discovering it. You know, I was listening to your podcast about you know I want to do this this thing. We don't want to be this institution. All of that. Well, then you get a building, right? And you got to manage it. And then you get multiple buildings. You got to figure out how to do it. All of a sudden, you're an institution, yep. right? You know, and that, that's just the reality. Uh, and so I, I, I and, and the, and the tension of all of this is guerrilla ministry sometimes, uh, financially is a, a different sort of thing, right? So you, this person who's done a bachelor's degree and then an MDiv on top of that's got debt and all of that. Uh, so, um, I, I just, I think that's in flux and I think, we're going to have to figure out how to facilitate that better. So I have a couple um, of people I know that are that were professionals, right? And then in second career now, and they're going to churches where it's bivocational, and they're kind of like, cool, because I can make way more money in the marketplace, and I will I will do this kind of in a different sort of place. Bivocational, when I was growing up, was often somebody who was working at the grocery store. So they were basically starving while working 100 hours a week between the church and the thing, you know. Which is Strangely terrible. enough, they got out of ministry after a while, you know. What yeah. a surprise. <laughs> so so I think we're starting to see some, you know, if the Lord would continue to call kinds of people. Out. So if you're a, you're a CPA, right, and the Lord calls you to go pastor a little church somewhere and kind of help them. And number one, you'll have some ideas about how to manage all of that sort of thing. You're going to make a good enough living that you can freely kind of give to that, to that sort of thing. You can give them time and energy without feeling like you're starving your family out to do that. Um, so I think that, again, I think almost everything, I think it takes multiple answers, but this would be another one where I think it takes multiple answers. Maybe we change our, our course. One of my concerns, um, uh, just on the flip side of that, of that same equation, is that the more we go to smaller and smaller groups, the less they can support a, a theological education, right? Which I think is important. Um, I think somebody needs to have an MDiv. Somebody needs to say, no, this is our tradition. That's another tradition because there's so many forces and you all of a sudden somebody's kind of trying to pull their sermons from, you know, some TV preacher, mm -hmm. right? So which is where, again, kind of way circling around back, which is where I see, again, the value of maybe the connection between the traditional church and and the gorilla pastor and those other models out there where a church my size can afford 
to pay for a guy that's got a BA and an MDiv, right? Uh, and and even hire staff with some of that kind of thing. And so, so it, it, collaboration. If we can get that all together, and and then freedom to allow lots of different ways for what it looks like to go into ministry. Um, I I love the idea of of things like five hundred one c threes creating those. I've tried to collaborate enough, so I haven't had to do that yet. But uh, <laughs> but I've seen it done right where you where where someone's gifts lie there, so they create a five hundred one c three and it becomes a parachurch church, right? So we're, there used to be church and parachurch, and in some ways we're kind of blending those back together with I, which I think is really healthy, right? Uh, you know, so maybe they have a building for that, but then they they gather a group of believers that want to get together and do church in maybe a different sort of way. You know, I've seen churches that, that take one Sunday a month and go work in their community. Great. That's a super thing. It would be hard to do in a church my size that's as traditional as my church is. Sure. Uh, so um, I, I think we just need lots and lots and lots of different ways of doing that and figuring out the finance for that. Um, to make it to make it happen. So that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And I have appreciated the conversation. And at, at the end of the day, it sounds like some of the things we are, are big on, you would also be big on, especially one of our things celebrating a diverse praxis. We might need more of that. It doesn't sound like that's a threat to you. It sounds like yeah. that actually excites you. It does. It, it really, really does. Because there's just so... So, so many things that, that are rich that come out of that. You reach people that you couldn't reach. You guys can reach people that I could never reach, right? You know, um, we have all kinds of ways of doing that. And the, the praxis, like it or not, the, the praxis will in some ways influence, maybe even control who you're going to be able to reach. Sure. Um, you know, so I realize that, that this church can only reach, uh, we're, we're focused on our target. And that's a target our church can reach, but there's just tons of ones that we can't. And we need people that do it different to reach those sorts of people. And I'll kind of let God sort out the credit at the end, sure. you know, um, with all of that. So I, I'm excited to see the church get a diverse praxis, if you will, all of the different ways that we can do that. Uh, I, I just, think, I'm a cheerleader for that. I, I think that's the kingdom of God on earth. So. I know you're going to do it in the future. So maybe we'll have to come back and have a conversation about that. I know there's already plans. We One of our guests might be visiting your church in the, in the near future. So maybe we'll have to have a follow-up. <laughs> but thank you for the time. Glad to do it. As I reflect back on the conversation I was privileged to have with Pastor Craig, a couple things come to mind. The first is the fact that he listens to this podcast, that he wants to know what we are doing that we are not some sort of threat. If anything, we are an opportunity for collaboration. I am humbled and encouraged by this fact, and it gives me hope that the future of the church is bright. If only we would be willing to work together, even if that work looks a little bit different than it did yesterday. And in case you haven't listened to it already, he is referencing an episode previously aired called Seven Days of Presence, which chronicles the work of the Seattle City Project where one co-host interviews another, Ryan Fasani sits down with Brian Wardlaw to interview him and ask him questions about all the work he is doing in the Seattle area. But the other reflection I would like to close on is the question of what is next? You heard Pastor Craig share his thoughts on how to prepare the would-be ministers of tomorrow. As a parent, this question keeps me up at night, and it will be the question our conversation focuses on in the next episode. In case you're curious, here's a little bit of what to expect coming up on the Gorilla Pastors podcast.
Our next episode will be a roundtable discussion with my co-hosts. In this episode, we will reflect on the interview with Pastor Craig and focus specifically on how to prepare ministers for a church that will look very different tomorrow than it does today. After that, we will revisit our conversation with two more Sunday morning traditional church pastors to hear what they have to say about our thoughts on the Sunday morning gathering and guerrilla ministry in general. Like with Pastor Craig, we hope to hear their feedback and their thoughts and to have a charitable discussion about what it looks like to hopefully collaborate and partner in ministry for the sake of the future of the church. And as we wrap up our first season of the Guerrilla Pastors podcast, our hope is to revisit a previously interviewed Guerrilla Pastor as they begin their journey of Guerrilla ministry by partnering with numerous traditional Sunday morning churches across Western Washington. Once again, I would like to thank you for listening to this episode. I would ask that if you are willing, you would rate, review, and subscribe so others might get a chance to hear the stories that we share. I've been your host, Josiah, and this has been the Gorilla Pastors Podcast.